now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. It is podcast day, boys. It is. Happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Barstool Politics. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Nick McGuire, uh, joined as always by... Uh, Dr. Bill Muck uh, from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, boys. Hey, hey good hey, to be here. Hey, How you doing, hey, Phil? Guys. Happy nondescript mm-hmm. holiday season to right. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I turned in grades yesterday. I'm a free man. So you're free to make America great again, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> finally. Yes. That's what we were waiting on. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the uh, last one before the holidays, and it's... Uh, Definitely gonna be an interesting one to say the least. We finally got uh, final word today that uh, whatever this this tax bill is, tax reform finally went through. This was a this was a big day. Oh, before we get into tax reform, should we tell the listeners what the plan for next week is? Yeah, we, we have a plan. Yeah. Okay. okay. We're gonna meet, we're gonna do a show next week. <laughs> Nick, we talked about this. I know. I forget very quickly. <laughs> Sorry. You were fixing technical I, difficulties. That's what it was. The fact that we're doing a show next week isn't the big news. We do a show every week. Right. But we're gonna do a year in review. Oh, are we? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you have lots of spare time right now, so I'm sure you or, can do that. Or we're gonna reflect on stuff. We'll do something that just sort of acknowledges the transition. You know. But it'll be it'll be Thursday or Friday before that's out. That's it won't be out on Wednesday. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So push back a couple of days. Don't, so don't panic on Wednesday when your new uh, barstool politics doesn't show up. I would panic. Spend spend more time with your family. Yeah. Go back. Listen to old don't episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so. No. Make them angry. Right. Make a joke that we made on here and see how angry they get. <clears throat> um, so yeah, might as well start talking about taxes because it's. Uh, I I didn't. Well, I mean, we knew it was very likely to go through. I'm surprised that it got through the Senate and the House and the House again after the changes that came down from the Senate. It was a parliamentarian, right? That found a bunch of mistakes and um, bird and smiley face drawings in there that, that weren't that procedure. Right. Okay, <laughs> just make sure. Republicans were committed. They wanted to get this done. It happened. It happened very quickly. Uh, Paul Ryan. I don't know who's who's happier today. Paul Ryan or Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, all of them. They had this big, uh, big press conference where they all congratulated each other, congratulated uh, President Trump over and over and over again. Paul, Paul Ryan. This is this is what he's been dreaming about since college, cutting taxes. <laughs> so, I'm but, just, Go ahead, Phil. The, the weird thing about it is that he's been dreaming about something like this since he was in <laughs> yes. college, but it's not this, right? That, that's what's weird about it. This is not tax reform or overhaul. This is just a tax cut. Right. And, it, and it, 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 yeah, I mean, it feels it for something that he has talked about for years to basically be celebrating this as a victory is, is a little, I mean, it's a small victory, but it's not the huge thing that he's been dreaming of for decades. Right. 
You dreamed of tax reform when you were in college, of too, course, right? Bill? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> tax reform, immigration reform, any kind of reform that usually just people I'm dreaming must about. Must have been real yes. popular. Do you, what, go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around why Republicans are so excited about this. Because this seems to me, it's... You, you have a very unpopular president. So Trump's approval ratings are very, very down. And this is the least popular tax reform that they've ever put through. It's, it's the least popular bill that has ever yes. been passed. So there, they published something today looking at approval and disapproval ratings for this. And the approval rating for this is at 33%, the disapproval at 52%. Now, by comparison, when George H.W. Bush raised taxes, it was more popular. So there was still 41% approved and the same disapproved. So by comparison to all other tax cuts and even in comparison to some tax hikes, this is incredibly unpopular. I I guess I don't get why Republicans are – maybe they they got something done? I think there's a couple – I think depending on on who you're talking – about I, Donald Trump, I don't. I think he just wants a piece of legislation that he can say he passed. Right. Um, and this is the first. I mean, a year, almost a year into his presidency, this is the first significant piece of legislation that has that has actually uh, been accomplished. And this is what's led people to question whether or not the Republicans are able to lead or govern. They're a tremendously effective opposition party, but they haven't been very effective as a ruling party um, over the past uh, year. I think the other part of it is that um, a number of people in Congress outright said that they were doing this because of their donors. Their donors made it clear to them that if they didn't pass this reform, um, there would be no more money. And and if that's true, and, and I, I mean, I don't know if it's that blatantly true, but I think there is certainly some truth to that. Um, yeah, I mean, it tells you something about the, the the structure of our system and the the way the incentives are set up. And you can have literally 70 percent of the American population opposed to a bill. But if the if the donors want it, they're going to do it. Um, or maybe what it tells you is that that money, the, the support of some donors in that money is more important than the votes. Right. You can f- afford to. Right piss off people because if you get enough you know billions of dollars you can win back enough votes to make up for that it's disgusting it is and and an important point is that this is while it's it's a broad tax cut the majority of those cuts are not just coming to the rich it's the super super rich i mean that's that's where most of this is heading now the corporate tax cut that's that's been long talked about for Republicans, and that, in some ways, that's a victory to move at thirty-five to what did they settle on? Twenty-one. Twenty-one percent. It's a huge that's insane. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I heard the reason they wanted twenty is Trump likes round numbers. Well, everybody likes so, round so numbers. Twenty is twenty is good. He didn't like twenty-one. So. We well, can't put twenty-one. That's when people start drinking. He doesn't so, drink. So you have a situation where you're. Trump ran on this populist campaign of, of the middle class and the forgotten individuals, and now you've passed legislation that isn't gonna isn't gonna make life for blue collar Americans any better, uh, but it will make the super rich much happier and corporations much happier. So I, I don't know why Republicans are so excited about this. And I think this could be trouble come midterms. And it's gonna be it's gonna add a trillion dollars to the to the deficit or whatever. I mean, this is gonna be. Which is also what's weird is because the the group of Republicans who are pushing this through are the ones who have been such sort of deficit debt hawks over yes. the past decade. Um, you know that's political hypocrisy in general, right? Like everyone's opposed to to uh, to deficit, but not when it affects the bill that they want to 
um, want to pass. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think something about what, one of the interesting things about this is it reveals the success uh, that the Republicans have had in um, marketing, I guess, right? The whole, the whole selling point of this is essentially trickle down economics, right? That if we give tax cuts to these billionaires, they'll have more money to hire people and to invest in, and that will help, you know, somehow coal miners in West Virginia, um, which they've convinced people is good logic. Like they've been able to get people get behind this, like working class Republicans buy into this, Do you think which they is do? the weird part to me. I mean, given the approval ratings being so low, I think that I'm not sure. I guess I haven't seen data on Republicans in particular, how that breaks down. But I wonder, I mean, it feels like those approval ratings are, are so low yeah. for this bill. I think they're selling this trickle down idea, but I'm not sure if people are buying it, but then they're still sticking I, with it. I suspect I, I have, this is just me, you know, musing about it. I suspect that the disapproval for this bill comes from the, the, the large number of very specific kind of kicks in the balls that they did right <laughs> like they're like screwing over you know uh people who you know grad students they're screwing over um the, my, the list of like things that are that you know, these very targeted um cuts that they're doing um i i should have a list of like five or ten of them and i can't think of any of them right now but there's a long list yeah. of them in which in very specific people are being hurt by this I sort of suspect that if they hadn't done those things and they had just done this massive tax cut, I, I don't know. I think it might have been more popular because I, I when I talk to Republicans, when I talk to Republicans in my family and when I talk to my students who are conservatives, trickle down economics is not an idea that has died. They they believe in it. Sure. They believe in the free market. You you unleash, you know, you unleash the power of money by giving more money to the rich people who have earned it and deserve it. Yeah, I, I don't think that's that controversial. Sorry. No, I don't think so either. And I mean, I think a lot of students and, and people, you know, center right Republicans do think that they're, they're coming at it from an individualistic perspective that entrepreneurs will have more money to create businesses and create more jobs. And it's not necessarily coming from that huge corporate, you know, substructure that's a part of all of this stuff that, you know, is, is you know, just inherent with everything. Um, what I found really interesting I hadn't looked at this up until we uh, right before we started recording. I was looking at the the differential between the uh, the approval on all of these different tax cuts and uh, hikes mm -hmm. since 1981. The trend is pretty significantly negative with everything yeah. going up until this point. So I would I would be surprised, regardless of how technically effective this bill was if we didn't see something that had a greater negative differential than you know the previous whatever it was the um the hw bush tax hike in 90 but every yeah we so we started in 1991 with a plus 25 differential 51 percent yes 26 percent no that was for reagan's first that was tax for reagan's cut. first tax cut 2001 plus 12 2010 plus 12, 2013 plus 7, 2000, why are those reversed? 2003 plus 6, plus 4, minus 10, minus 11, minus 19. Now, the last three were, or the two of the last three were tax hikes, so that's what they were negative. Right. And then, so the only negative one that was a tax cut is the Trump tax cut. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's a bizarre thing. And I even remember when George W. Bush had his big tax cut. 
liberals, I don't know if liberals, but I, I think everybody got something from that. And, and right. that was very, very popular. Mm-hmm. This is different from that. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, yeah. how it's, it's a strange strategy because – in the past, when you did tax cuts, you tried to make, even if you gave huge tax cuts to the ultra rich, you tried to give a little bit of something to everyone. And right. the Republicans have not tried to do that. It, this is pretty clear what their intentions are, right? To give tax cuts to the wealthiest. Um, and they're sort of unashamedly doing it. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I, they are doing it a little bit ashamedly, right? They didn't hold hearings. They haven't had any sort of public debate on this. This was um, done as quietly as possible, I think, because it is so unpopular. And I suspect that if it had been discussed and debated more, it would have been even more unpopular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think the Alabama election last week contributed to this? Do you think in some ways, because there were a number of people who were still on the fence and the Republicans lost one more vote, right? They went from a two vote margin to a one vote margin. And I, I could see a lot of Republicans essentially thinking this is it, right? Mm-hmm. They, this is our last chance to get this done. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see Republicans who might even hate the bill or think it's poorly written, or, but say... Um, this is better than nothing, which is what's going to happen if we when we lose our if we lose our majority or when we lose our majority. And so get it done now while this is our last best opportunity, I guess. And that mm. might explain why Bob Corker, Susan Collins, Susan some Collins. of these who we thought they thought may vote against it. I mean, Bob Corker was well, Corker got some massive personal <laughs> tax cut basically yes. out of it. <laughs> But he had gone on, it was, I can't remember if he was CNN or whatever it was. Oh, Wolf Blitzer was going after him because he had said previously, if there's one penny that adds to the deficit, I'll vote against it. And so, you know, they ask him about it. And he says, well, that's what I was thinking then. I'm thinking differently now, right? It's, just, right. it's embarrassing. They put, special, they put a special clause in basically <laughs> right. for him. Right. <laughs> like, he should be ashamed. Do you know what his defense was? I didn't read the bill, so I didn't know that it was in there. <laughs> that's, so, that's fair. Right. They're busy men. Oh, men yeah. Women. Susan Collins was the same way. She put up a big stink about uh, uh, Chip yeah. and the, the child health care, which stuff. is, is Hasn't not going to be funded. funded. Not going to be. Funded. And is now not going to be funded. So they've given this massive tax cut while basically, you know, leaving nine million, nine million children uninsured, basically because they don't want to vote to. What was yeah. the component that they put in for Cruz then? That got, was his major He got to stipulation. stand next to Don Jr. with that Obama cookie. <laughs> is that what it was? That's what it was. <laughs> I, I thought the stipulation for him voting yes was that they were funding that. They were increasing funding for no, CHIP. didn't happen. I think that was... Was that Cruz? I thought that was Rubio that was putting up a stink about that. Rubio was the child like credit the same person. Yeah, the child so, credit. Oh, Rubio was that's America. what it was. Which speaks to this yeah. broader point that what they were doing at the end is just giving these things away. But right. it didn't take much to get everybody on board. But I think you're right, Phil. The timing. They felt like they had to get something done. Yeah. Because once they go away for the the Christmas break and they come back, who knows what happens? I mean, Trump will have probably pardoned six people by then. <laughs> Mueller's <laughs> indicting. So maybe the thought was we got to get something done quickly, uh, and then move on. Will they will they pay a price for this? Yes, I, I think so. It, you it, think it, but, do you think voters uh, care? I think voters care about a lot of stuff, but tax policy. I think even if they're getting screwed over by tax policy, I I don't know that that's the thing that uh, people. I, I don't know. Maybe when their paychecks are smaller because taxes have gone up on certain people or sure. whatever, maybe that'll matter. But I'm sort of skeptical that this is the thing that that hurts Republicans. Yeah, I would kind of agree. Unless there's a, an immediate. Um, visual effect that that people can kind of rally around i'm not this is it's a it's the slow boil you know you don't 
throw a frog in a boiling pot, you put it in there at room temperature and then raise the heat on them, and they don't notice until it's too late. <laughs> I will say there was some data came out that came out today looking at Democrats versus Republicans for the midterm elections, and Democrats jumped significantly. The Democrat, Just like the general Democrat is up big. So who knows whether this plays, how it plays out. But if Democrats are smart, they should be running campaigns against Donald Trump and against this tax reform uh I, I don't know. I, I I disagree with you guys a little bit. I think it'll it'll be a more significant factor come midterm. So, so maybe my thing is maybe it's not that people don't care about it. It's that people have short memories. Like yes. I, you know, I like last week we were talking about how you know Roy Moore is going to be such a drag on the Republican Party, and it's been a week, and it kind of feels like everybody's forgotten about Roy Moore already, except right? for Roy Moore. You know, he hasn't conceded yet. <laughs> he hasn't conceded. That's right. <laughs> What's going on? And apparently, he's still raising money. What's what's wrong with Roy Moore? Oh, Long live the Confederacy. Saw, yeah, <laughs> I saw somebody made a comment about Roy Moore's denial that he has lost this election. Might tell you something about his denial of the previous accusations <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, I guess the other thing that relating to this tax reform is is after it all passed, there were a couple. There was a big event where they Trump had all of the the leaders from Congress up, but before that, he brought his cabinet together. I don't know. Did you guys see this? And he had Ben Carson started out the the cabinet meeting with a prayer, and then it went to Mike Pence, who went on for three minutes talking about how wonderful Donald Trump was. And I believe they said every 12 seconds in this three-minute speech, he said he had a compliment for Trump. It was so awful and awkward. And the rumor is that Pence doesn't like Trump and that Pence's wife can't stand to be in the same room with Trump. But yet, that Pence, is shocking. Yeah, right, Pence is so like he is the most slurpy of all Republicans when it comes to to Trump. I mean, he. I think he's real good at playing the game. You think so? He's think counting he the was, days yeah. until he's in office. Okay, maybe that's it. <laughs> because his talk today was, "What a wonderful man! What a great guy!" You said, "You know, you've done what the American." Do you think will that come back to bite Pence, or he just plays uh-huh. the game until it's over? I think he bides it, his time. Okay, it should it should come back to hurt him right i mean pence is the and like he's the guy that's all about principles and christianity and he's not going to dine with another woman because he's married to his wife and like it makes sense why his wife wouldn't like being in the room with donald trump makes perfect sense um but you know there's a tremendous amount of hypocrisy for a man who's all about values to basically suck up to donald trump right um, that should that should come back to haunt him, but it, I, I don't think it it will. Um, it's again all of this partisan viewing, yeah. right? That we that we, if you live through the lens in which you think that Democrats are evil yeah. and Trump is therefore not so bad, then sure Pence is fine. The visual of of Pence going on for three minutes and, and lavishing all these compliments on Trump, and then the the cameras on Trump, so you see the top of Pence's head. And then you see all of Trump and Trump has his arms crossed and just looks grumpy. It was it's just it's a strange thing. Nicholas. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh. The whole thing is weird. It's yeah. all just weird. It is. weird. No, I, I, I think he's I think he's a political player, regardless of what his background or religious standards are. I think he plays the game very well. And we're just not seeing it up until this point. He gives a great speech. I mean, even though the, the three minute speech was not at all accurate. You find yourself getting a little fired up. You're like, man, that guy can give a good speech. Mm-hmm. Oh. Should we transition to foreign 
politics? Yes, please. All right. I hate taxes. <laughs> so the other big issue this week was that on Monday, the Trump administration released its annual national security strategy. Uh, and this this happens every year that the uh, whatever presidential administration releases this document. And while a bit more dark than previous administrations, it represented a what I say a professional attempt by, I think, McMaster, Dina Powell, and others to articulate a coherent national security strategy. Now, the document contradicts many of Trump's own statements, specifically dealing with Russia and China. So the document itself comes out and directly attacks those two as revisionist powers that the United States needs to think about. It's very classic realist in the sense of, or actually not, what do they, they call it? Uh, is that Siri? Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Russians. Yeah, it's the Russians. <laughs> uh, but I guess the deeper question is whether Donald Trump even cares. It, it was the story broke that he hadn't read this national security strategy, and what he says, it's, it's it was it's a whole fifty five pages. Uh, he's a reflex machine, and, he, and so he just says what he's going to say. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I when I read the document, I disagreed with the worldview that McMaster puts out there, but I would acknowledge it as a legitimate debate, right? I mean, what he's putting out there is thoughtful. Which is so inconsistent with, I think, how Trump talks about foreign affairs. So, um, I, I don't know. Do we Can we learn anything from this? Is this just, I don't know, a, a day's news story? Or is, is there some significance to it? I mean, I think there's there's an argument to be made that because it is that coherent, there you're starting to see a separation between the national security apparatus and those agencies involved in it and the president. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. The fact that he didn't read it, I don't necessarily give a shit about. Uh, and, and while, like you said, it's pragmatic and more realist, it it is a coherent strategy that you can create long-term strategy behind, which is something that we haven't seen in the past year. Absolutely. So I'll I'll take that. No, I would too. <laughs> so from the document itself, so it, uh, it says, China and Russia challenge American power, influence, and interest, attempting to erode American security and prosperity. They, Russia and China, are determined to make economies less free, less fair, to grow their militaries and control information and data, to repress their societies and expand their influence. I mean, that's that's a really harsh critique of both Russia and China. I don't think it's wrong. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's wrong either. But it so contradicts the way in which uh, Trump likes Russia, likes Putin, and when Trump went to China, he lavished praise on I love Ping. Yeah. He's, yeah, Mr. Ping. Right. Yeah. This, this, to me, fits in with all of the storylines that we've talked about. It, it sort of confirms so much of what we've discussed in the past, in that there's one part of the story, which is that you have the adults in the room, right? You've got McMaster and you've got these other people who are smart and who know what, like, even if you don't agree necessarily with their worldview, they're professional, they're smart, they're looking at the world in, you know, in these, in, in, in strategic ways. Um, and that can be comforting, right? Is it good that those people are there? Absolutely. Um, on the other hand, this also reveals Trump's approach to things. He, he's not, he, he is a reflex machine. He's yeah. not doing his research. He's not like analyzing, you know, geopolitics and looking at the ways in which, you know, Russia has has interacted with its neighbors and his ally. Right. He's just he's doing what he's saying, what he feels. Right. And, and so both of those, th again, two things can be true. Right. Yeah. There are adults in the room who have real who, who have real thoughtful um, approaches to international politics. But you have a president 
who doesn't give a shit about that, right? He's going to do what he wants, and he's not bound by institutions. He's not bound by the advice of other people. He's not bound by the expectations of the people around him. And so you see both of those playing out here, right? People who are working their ass off to come up with this very clear, thoughtful strategy. And Trump, you know, the, why can he sign it and, like, smile while he does it? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's in there. He's going to do what he wants to do in the end. And so I, there's, the, there's that aspect that is comforting, right? These people are there around Trump. But there's the other part, which has been the terrifying part all along, which is that Trump doesn't care, right? He's right. going to do what he wants to do. Why you got to rain on this parade? <laughs> the other thing I, I was thinking about as I was looking through the document itself, McMaster, Powell, whoever was crafting this, they were very strategic. The beginning of every section, there's a quote from Donald Trump. So, mm. and I think they're doing this for Trump. And mm-hmm. the first two sections are dealing with uh, the economy, immigration, all the bread and butter stuff that he's most likely to read. So, if he's going to read a 55 page document, it's probably the first few pages and the first page of each section. So, they, they give a nice quote from Trump <laughs> and then they, they go into more nuance, which oftentimes disagrees or is in contrast to that opening quote. But- but, but they know he's not going to read past exactly, his own right? quote. It all looks good. Because even when you, you, if you listen to his speech where he laid out the national security strategy, it was completely inconsistent with the document. It was a campaign speech. And the document is, is thoughtful and it avoids using uh, Islamic terrorism. I mean, he, it avoids all the things that he does. And I think it correctly labels the threat that China and Russia play, goes after North Korea and Iran, talks about terrorism. So it it is very sophisticated in terms of its worldview, so in contrast to the way in which Trump describes these issues. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting comparison to be made to to George W. Bush here, right? Because George George Bush came into the presidency not at all a foreign policy president, right? It was not, not you know, he was not well-informed on foreign policy, um, and he surrounded himself with, you know, neo, you know, neocons and, and, you know, realists and all of this. And you felt like you, the people drive, you know, all of the, the foreign policy under the Bush administration was, was put forth by these very smart people around him. Um, sort of like what's happening here. The difference is that it felt like George Bush could be influenced by them, right? He was willing to listen to them and let them sort of take the lead, um, and sort of defer to their expertise. And Donald Trump's not going to defer to anyone. So you have a similar situation in which you have a po- president who's not a foreign policy president who has surrounded himself with smart people. But rather than like deferring and saying, you know, I recognize that you know better than I do <laughs> no. on this stuff, he's just ignoring them. He's just going with it. Oh, should we dive into North Korea a little bit? Because yes. I think that's yeah. a great example to think about this. <laughs> yep. So over the last. I don't know, seven to 10 days, you're seeing more and more stories come out. Individuals at high levels of government and in the press who are saying, we're hearing stories come out from the administration saying that they're they're convinced that war with North Korea might happen. Uh, and that, uh, you know, even actually even McMaster gave an interview with BBC the other day in which he said, we're, we're not committed to a peaceful resolution we're committed to a resolution. And that was significant because they're saying here that the, the right answer to the North Korean problem might be a military solution. Lindsey Graham came out and said that uh, he talked about that there, there's, there might be there's about a 30% chance of war and that if North Korea continues to test missiles, 
that might go up to 70 percent and they asked him and he says we talk about he and trump talk about north korea all the time on the golf course because now Lindsay and and trump golf with you with each other but shouldn't this terrify us that the administration is genuinely thinking through how to wage war with north korea it's not just let's raise the rhetoric as a way of getting north korea to the negotiating table it is we think they can't be deterred we think they're an irrational actor and that a military solution is the best course of action yeah, my impression is that it's not you. You said that that they're talking increasingly like war might happen. Um, I, the the stuff I've read gives the impression that they think that war is maybe even likely. Yeah. That that it's not that it might happen. That that it's it's sort of where we're headed. Um, not that it's certain, but but that that and it sounds like you know that you you had even you sent me this article from Dan Dresner who's right. uh, at Tufts. Tufts, right? though, yeah. Um, who, uh, you know, talked about people he had talked to within foreign policy circles who all talk as if the the Trump administration is planning, is planning, uh, not planning for the possibility of war. They're like, they're planning a war, right? Like this is, and the comparison is the buildup to Iraq, Iraq. where yeah. if you talk mm-hmm. to people in the foreign policy circles prior to the Iraq war, it was clear, right, that Iraq was that the the purpose, the the end goal, the end point was war with Iraq. The difference there was that it was being publicly talked about and debated and discussed in Congress and on news outlets and amongst the American people. There was this very public discussion of the implications and whether war with, with Iraq was a good thing or or not. And and all of the um, you know all of the people who seem to have some level of access to foreign policy circles now seem to think that this is very similar in its build up towards war and yet we're not having any discuss we're not having public discussion we're not having congressional discussion it's just quietly behind the scenes they're making it it scares the hell out of me yeah nick you scared <sighs> you're always you always talk sense into us in terms of north korea well, yeah i i hmm. Because I'm terrified. Well, I, I mean, realistically, the rhetoric that they're talking about, the fact that, I mean, nuclear uh, North Korea is a, a, you know, failed rogue state that also happens to have nuclear weapons, which is a situation that we have not found ourselves in before. And, yeah, you probably should have some sort of plan for that. The depth of that plan, I don't necessarily know what you need at that point. Uh, from my perspective... This still seems like very pointed, aggressive rhetoric to bring some sort of different conclusion, because we do know that there are elements of that regime, again, like we've talked about, that are scared shitless of what could possibly happen, just like you two are scared shitless right now. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to go on the side of it being, you know, 70% likelihood that we're going to go to war with North Korea and I'd probably say it's even less than the 30% uh, likelihood. And, and now I lost my train of thought. See, I'm worried about you two being freaked out, and then I freak myself well, out. I think there's two ways you... So people keep talking about we're sleepwalking into war with North Korea because there's no public discussion of this. Right. And there's a couple ways this, this pl- could play out. Maybe the, the U.S. decides that the threat posed by North Korea is grave enough where we're going to preemptively attack their sites. That's problematic. But the other scenario is that North Korea gets freaked out by the Trump 
behavior mm. and they do something small. So maybe they shoot down a U.S. plane or something happens. Or maybe keep testing missiles, whatever it is. And that Trump then responds at that lower level. But once that interaction starts occurring, it will quickly escalate. And I don't see the Trump administration and Trump in particular being capable of slowing that down. Mm-hmm. And all it takes is one side to make a mistake and suddenly North Korea is launching, you know, within the first hour missiles into South Korea and then, you know, hundreds or tens of thousands of people are dead, then we're legitimately in war. Yeah. I, I think but, it's it's different from Iraq in the sense that Iraq there was we knew that there was a danger and we knew a lot of people would die, but I think the North-South Korea dynamic is much, much more explosive. I, I remember my point now. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the difference, especially when you're talking about Iraq in 2003, nice, that yeah. was a good one. Yeah. Ooh, that's... <laughs> Guinness. Don't get it on the equipment. Um, the, the difference is, I think you still had a, a lingering... Um, uh, kind of patriotic movement left over from 9-11 to yes. where there was some sort of popular support for it. You go, uh, maybe, sure, why not? I don't think you would ever find any sort of institutional or popular support for this type of war without some direct preemptive action on the part of North Korea. But maybe that's why they're not making the you, public case. I, but I, I, like, I, I don't think you can fight that kind of war at this point without support from anyone outside of that circle of people that are putting these plans together. So I, I would be interested to see some polling numbers on it because I, yeah. I, I don't think that I, I am under the impression that amongst a not insignificant portion of the American population, they think that North Korea needs to be dealt with with force, that like he needs to be you know brought into line, right? That this is um, because as Americans, we don't tend to think beyond the like the sort of let's kick his ass. We don't think about the, the sort of decades of of you know war and hundreds of thousands of deaths that that tie into it. Um, I would be interested to see. I, you're right, Nick. You you can't do this sort of war without public support. But I I don't know. I, I I don't think there's overwhelming by any means public support for it, but I don't know that it's as lacking in public support as as it might as we might assume. The, the other thing I think to build on mm. that point, it, the public could potentially get behind this, and I think Trump doesn't think about the cost of war in the same way that somebody who's you know like Colin Powell who has gone you know has seen war we as a country don't know war and Trump certainly does I mean he was he had bone spurs so he, you know he was wasn't fighting he suffered man he suffered <laughs> he suffered <laughs> and you know but the other the thing I think about is when what was it the when Syria used uh, chemical weapons right the, mm. and, and he saw that and he talked about how much that impacted yep. him but I don't think he thinks about that when it as it as it plays out in the Korean battle. I think he thinks about it as somebody almost like it's toy soldiers playing out. He doesn't appreciate that if there is a conflict there, tens of thousands of people will die very very quickly, uh, and it, it is it is a Vietnam type scenario. It's 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 awful, and I think that's why I'm worried about it. Mm-hmm. So I I, I want to clarify one thing in that when I say that it scares the hell out of me, this whole thing. It doesn't necessarily scare the hell out of me because I think war is likely. I, th- I think the thing that scares the hell out of me is that the stakes are so high mm-hmm. and that um, when you hear these stories about the Trump administration moving towards war or thinking that war is the solution, 
the problem is that that becomes the lens, and this is sort of what you were saying, Bill, that becomes the lens through which they interpret stuff, yeah. right? So it, it's, I, I, you know, another administration or someone who, who doesn't necessarily view war with North Korea as inevitable, if an American warplane gets shot down, there's some pause or there's some like, okay, let's consider the right. But if you are already work, if you've convinced yourself that North Korea, we've talked about this a little bit in previous weeks as well, but if, if you have already sort of aimed your national security apparatus towards war with North Korea, then the, you know, the trigger gets bumped easier, right? Yeah. Like that, that's what, that's what scares me is that if you're already thinking that way, then you're interpreting events and actions from North Korea through that lens when that may not be the correct interpretation of what they're doing. That's what scares the hell out of yeah. me is that the stakes are so high and it's like we're pri we're primed for war with them. It's like we're looking for a war. I mean, let's keep in mind that these statements are coming from Lindsey Graham, too. I, I mean, he's he's not he's he's in the golf cart with Trump, though. Right. He's he's not the be all end all of these no. scenarios or these tactics. So let's just tamp it but, down a little bit, children. But, but it's not just Lindsey Graham. It's, it's no, from I understand. Who are reporting on this. It's like all sorts of people who are yeah. like career foreign policy people, I, including yeah. McMaster, right? The National right, right, right. Security Advisor. So, well, again, he is the National Security Advisor. These are things that you seriously have to yeah. consider. Like, I, and again, I'm not saying that the rhetoric is not disconcerting, and I, I, I still think this is a maybe poorly planned and poorly executed um, negotiation tactic, negotiating tactic. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still not gonna go start digging a hole in my backyard quite yet. Okay. So I, I know that we've gone a little long on this, but, you know, one of the when you draw from like this is the irritating professor in me, um, I'm going to draw on political science theory. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we talk about it in, in, you know, my global politics class and you talk about it in presidency classes and stuff as well. But, uh, you know, th this idea of diversionary theory of war, right, that there are that presidents when um, faced with crises at home will distract the public with with foreign policy. And we've sort of alluded to that previously with with Trump. I mean, this came up with, you know, Bill Clinton and and during the Lewinsky affair, there've been, you know, lots of examples of this in time. But when you take all of these already kind of concerns and then you throw in the Mueller investigation and the increasing pressure on Trump, um I you know, I don't I there's part of me that thinks that Trump would totally do that. Would would because he doesn't grasp the seriousness of war necessarily, he would do something dumb to distract her investigation. There's another part of me who tends to think that Trump is dramatically overestimated in his like analytical, yes. like yes. And it, that he's not thinking that far ahead of things. And, and, and that part of me thinks that it, he, it wouldn't even dawn on him necessarily to do this, but I, does yeah. that, does that worry you? Does the, the, the addition of the Mueller stuff make you feel more concerned. No, no. <laughs> if he was more Nixonian in terms of his foreign policy, actually just in general of his strategy, I would say yes. But I think to your latter point, I don't think he gets that. It's 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 an impulse reaction to all of this, and he's not thinking more than seven minutes ahead. Like whatever the next news segment on Fox, that's what's driving his thinking. He's not thinking about this Mueller investigation is bad. I need to ramp things up in North Korea. Now, I will say when he talks about Mueller, like he does think about that 
in a longer term frame, but I don't think he thinks about the connection between the issues. But but we don't know. I I, I mean I completely understand your your point, Phil, and I I think it's a good one. I I would say when you're talking Thank about you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you're talking about diversionary warfare, especially from a political perspective, the instances that we've seen that utilized have been so completely different from what we're talking about right now. We're talking about going to war with a known nuclear power that has tested nuclear weapons as opposed to conflicts, you know, quote unquote, minor conflicts in the Middle East or, you know, Bosnia and air power and, you know, yeah, yeah, right. 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 Yeah. Taking a vacation to Grenada or something like that. It's this would be so cataclysmic that I don't think regardless of what how far Trump how far ahead uh, Trump is thinking about this particular situation, when you're talking about having a ground war with a nuclear power uh, that's under control of an authoritarian regime, there are going to be other people in that room that are going to be, you know, pulling that football out of his hand before he can do anything. Hopefully Mattis, right? You hope that he weighs in and and says, this is, this is, this is going to be more difficult than you think. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like at some point you got to go, all right, just shut the fuck up and let us, talk to you well, for two what seconds. What was the line from Star Wars? This is not going to play out the way you think. God, Luke's line. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't like it that much. <laughs> All right, should we talk beer? Yes. All right. Sure. What, what, start us off, Phil. What'd you have? So I, tonight, am drinking. I had a, a student, um, uh, uh, Chris, who gave me, at the end of the semester, um, uh, this coffee cake porter, which is from 603 Brewery here in New Hampshire. Uh, and it's, um, I, I, I've been enjoying porters. We've talked about on here in previous weeks that in my head, I don't like them, but every time I drink one, I really enjoy it. They're never as heavy as I think. Um, and this, this is, this is really good. It is heavy on the coffee flavor. It's got a strong coffee flavor, but it's got this kind of really, I don't know, subtle, like, I don't know, cinnamon or something in the background that comes out. Mm. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty damn good. I've enjoyed it. Nice. Nick? Uh, (laughs) Oddly enough, uh, Bill and I were drinking a fascist pig. I love that name. Uh, from Finch Beer, which is out of Chicago. Uh, Chicago. I yeah. forgot about that. Um, so this was an Imperial Red um, arsenal of caramel malts, uh, hot bombs, and a touch a touch of rye. Um, topple fascist, not can. That's a great line. It's really good. I will say this can is what drew me in. So yeah. <laughs> that's a picture of a, a fascist pig on the on the cover. It's yes. great. It looks like Castro, but he's a pig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love reds. Yes, reds are great. I do too. Yeah, yeah, it's just nice and it's got a light sweetness to it. That carmeliness. Yep. Um, again, very drinkable. Yes, about everything. And not um, so you know. I don't know. It's, it's not filling. It's not overly bubbly. I mean, it's just. It's know, a good drinking beer. It is. Yeah. Uh, and this is this was a more complex red ale. I, maybe that's the imperial element. But uh-huh. yeah, it was. You could get a little bit of the maltiness to it, but there was still some good. Hop bombs. No, I. This was a. This is. We oftentimes try beers and we say, yeah, it was a decent beer, but I wouldn't have it again. This one I would definitely have again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and it's bright pink. Yeah, the the can is fantastic. Yeah. The beer is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well done, Finch. So, <laughs> we've had a couple of other beers, but this might be my favorite of theirs. Yeah, so, definitely yeah. good. All right, it's speed round time. Oy. So our first topic, and we were deciding whether this is a speed round topic or whether this is, you know, a bigger topic, but the Mueller investigation. So 
there was a lot going on again this week with the Mueller investigation. Uh, Fox News was out there suggesting that this, uh, what was going on with Mueller is akin to a coup. And I, for me, this is a big deal. When you've got a major news organization saying that what's happening and that an investigation by the by the FBI is is akin to a coup against the government, uh, that, that shifts the dynamic a bit. Uh, there was also conversation. Trump suggested that he wasn't thinking about a pardon for for Michael Flynn yet. And he ended the sentence with yet. <laughs> so, and then the administration came out and said, "Well, well, no, he's not 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 thinking about that yet." So, but but yet is out there. Additionally, uh, Trump lawyers accused the Mueller team of improperly acquiring Trump transition emails, apparently thousands of them. Uh, the Mueller investigation or the Mueller team came out and said, uh, no, we, we've done this properly. This is all within the law. And other uh, supposedly right, other presidential administrations, both the Republican and Democratic, have come out and said, yeah, you signed. This is basically the deal. When you have a transition email, you realize the government has access to that. So. Now, through all of this, Trump seems relatively calm. Hmm. Uh, he seems to be under the assumption that <laughs> Mueller's going to wrap things up soon and he's going to be cleared. Should he be so calm and collected about all of this? I mean, considering how batshit crazy he sounded <laughs> the past couple of weeks, I don't know if he has anything left in him. Again, you only have so much energy to spend in a day. That's true. So, yeah, he spent a lot over the past couple right. of weeks. He should not be calm. <laughs> he should be very worried. <laughs> There's lots of elements to this. I mean, again, we could we could do our we could dedicate our whole podcast to yeah. talking about the Mueller investigation every and the week. thing every week. <laughs> yes. Um, I, you know, the, the 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 there's a couple of things to point out on this. The the Fox News whole like this is a coup thing, which got picked up by a lot of people on the yeah. right, just pisses me off. Yeah. Um, it pisses me off mostly as a professor because that's not what a coup is right no that's right especially a military coup yes right right a coup is like an, an illegal uprising you know in which you overthrow the leader of, of a country and replace them this is happening entirely within the institutions of government and the process of government this is called government fake this news fake news coup, right <laughs> This is called a criminal investigation abiding by the rules of how criminal investigations are supposed to play out. So that one just pisses me off. But um, I think it reveals the extent to which the 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 Fox News in, is has just gone. They've always been a little different, but they've gone really far out there in terms of defending Trump. But I think it reveals the extent to which the Trump administration and ad, you know allies of the Trump administration will do whatever they can to undermine the legitimacy of the Mueller investigation. It, this has been the case with attacks on the FBI and with all sorts of other stuff. The other aspect of it that is interesting is this quote in which he talked about pardoning Yes. Pardoning and yet. Oh, hold on um, one second, because okay. I want to respond just to what you said, yeah. and I want to throw one more bit of data at you. So I think it was yesterday, uh, Don Jr. Uh, gave a speech, and at that speech, uh, he suggested that, quote, people at the highest levels of government are conspiring against the Trump administration. And he said it was a rigged system, specifically referencing or indirectly referencing Mueller. But my favorite line is this one, quote, there is. And there are people at the highest levels of government that don't want to let America be America. Amen. <laughs> That's right. So. Telling it like it is. Right. <laughs> so I think it's. I think you're right that it's Fox News that is playing. It is shifting towards a state propaganda network. 
But it's not just Pox. It's also right. the Trump administration itself, which is lending a lot of credibility to these arguments that it's a military coup and there's it's the system is rigged and it's not just that they're it's not just that fox news is defending trump it's that they're attacking the system in order to defend trump which Mm -hmm. is the like what's her name judge janine or whatever (laughs) (laughs) the other clip that went around earlier this week or last week was the one in which she was like going through naming individual people in the fbi and calling for them not to be fired but to be hauled away in handcuffs and arrested right for for investigating the president (laughs) and that's that's the you know it's not they're not talking about how uh, they're not trying to defend trump or trying to explain what's happening they're trying to defend him by essentially undermining the system or anyone else who you know this is not a hey like we're waiting to see what comes of it and we think the just you know justice will be served and we think he's innocent it's it is like the whole it, it yeah it's disturbing well it, we can't forget that Mueller is a republican he was appointed mm-hmm. by a republican i mean this is of all the people that you're going to attack i mean he is a, a vietnam veteran he ran the fbi for over 10 years did he get caught Caught what? Did he get caught? We we don't care about, I mean, veterans if they got caught. They're not oh, heroes right. or anything. That's right. that's right. No, I don't think he got. He wasn't. Oh, all right. He didn't get McCain. Okay. So. Well, he's fine. Then. <laughs> yes. So of all, the, for me, what's troubling is that of all the individuals that you could go after, he seems like almost untouchable. He is a Republican. He's a law and order <laughs> man, and yet he is still being targeted. And if that can happen. What does that say about our institutions? You can't have anybody who leads an institution. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Phil. You didn't get a chance to talk about yet. Talk about yeah, yet. Yeah, let me just talk yeah. for just a second. That's the other part that I <laughs> yeah. think is interesting is the, the the statement that he hasn't pardoned Flynn yet, or he hasn't decided to pardon Flynn yet, yeah. uh, which is interesting for a couple of different ways because it, it is it could very easily be interpreted as a message to Flynn, right? That I, yes. I will pardon you. You're in the middle of cooperating. Don't do too much. I'm going to pardon you. And there have been a lot of people who have basically said that just that statement could be grounds for um, a, a charge of um, obstruction, uh, obstruction yeah. of justice. Thank you. I was, yeah. Um, I just, I've just finished teaching international law and in the end we spent a whole, uh, a shitload of time at the end talking about denial of justice, which is what I wanted to say, but obstruction of justice. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. And I, so it's just, yeah, it's insane that he's, that he's continuing to sort of insert himself into these. The, the proper response is no comment on an, on an ongoing investigation. Mm-hmm. The other thing. So some people are speculating that Trump is going to fire Mueller. And I think that's less likely. And I, I wonder whether, the yet comment wasn't an indication that he's trying to discredit this whole investigation not to fire Mueller but to pardon a whole bunch of people Mm -hmm. and for the record both of you said he wasn't going to pardon anybody else other than the turkey before January 1st and I'm on the record saying he's going to pardon somebody that clock's ticking son it is ticking but now everybody's going to go away and that week Mm -hmm. between Christmas And New Year's. You think people are just going to start disappearing? No, no he's gonna, <laughs> it's a good time to pardon it's people. It's a good time to pardon. So we'll yeah. see. It, uh, we could spend way more time on this, but yeah, it was a big week. Yeah. Um, all right, topic number two. Uh, the CDC, uh, according to a story this uh, first reported on Friday in the Washington Post, President Donald Trump's administration has banned the CDC from using seven words or phrases in the next year's budget documents. The terms are fetus, Transgender, vulnerable, entitlement, diversity, evidence-based, and science-based. So, 
Uh, now, the director of the CDC came out and said there are no banned words, but we are suggesting that they maybe shouldn't use those in budgetary documents because it may decrease the opportunity that we get funding. So and they may get fired. Right. So... And this has caused some people to say this is Orwellian and you know, 1984 references. How is this a big deal? Should we be concerned about this? Or is this just normal politics, the politics of rhetoric? No, this really disturbed me. Yeah. <laughs> this, this bugs the Go shit Nick. Yeah, out why? of me. So, there, especially now in the climate that we're in, I, I feel like a lot of this type of stuff has come, and this is my personal perspective, uh, this kind of... Um, banning of of rhetoric or um pushing aside of, of certain terms in favor of other terms has come a, come from the left primarily mm-hmm. and now we're seeing this come from a very right wing element of of uh of the the government which i i really didn't expect coming from them and the fact that they they had to include science based right. and evidence based. <laughs> yes. And then had to they suggested putting in something along the lines of um research that is in accordance with uh current uh beliefs and popular sentiment or something like that. Yeah. And I like I heard that I, I, I heard it in my car and I'm pretty sure I was in there by myself and just said what the fuck as loud as I could <laughs> to myself. And I just it it just it's mind blowing that you would especially from something that has to be by definition evidence based. You're talking about the CDC and you're going to take out anything related to evidence based or science based research. Like how do you do anything at that point? <laughs> So, can I? I'll, I'll, I want to no. try to make you feel better. I want to try to make you feel better. No. <laughs> so the 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 story from here's here's my here's the stuff that I've read on it that makes me feel slightly better, but still concerned. It's still it's still bothersome. The Washington. My impression is that the Washington Post story is technically true. That the Trump administration, the, the people who lead the CDC, are part of the Trump administration at this point. They gave these directives about language that can and can't be used. But it, it wasn't coming from Trump himself. It wasn't right. that this was like, you know, the White House saying these are bad terms and you can't use them. The, my impression is that it was essentially the leadership of the CDC worried about funding who was basically saying that these are the sorts of terms that tend to piss off Republicans. <laughs> and so you should try to avoid using them because we really want the Republicans to give us our budget. Right. That's still Which, real disturbing. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it is It is to me less disturbing than if the Trump administration or if, you know, people, you know, politicians, like, you know, elected officials are saying these words cannot be used. Right. That's that right. is censorship of a different type sure. that really is concerning. But. The fact that, again, because of like, you know, the sensitive nature of, of politicians on either side, that that uh, officials are having to like alter the words that they use or how they talk, that it's still concerning. It's not as concerning as if it's this like heavy-handed censorship, but it's still it's like a it's kind of an indirect censorship, right? That that, that there's such a low tolerance of these terms that we're going to avoid using them is still deeply troubling. Right. Here's here's what I would say, Phil. I get what you're saying, that it would be worse if Trump said don't use these words. But if you think about 1984, George Orwell's famous novel, 
the point of that is that it's not necessarily coming from above is that you convince everybody in the society to follow these rules and to enforce them Mm -hmm. and so now you have the cdc saying we shouldn't use these words so it feels like we've almost drifted to a point where the government and officials within the government are saying we have to reinforce we already know what big brother wants let's Mm. start limiting that and Mm -hmm. for me that i initially felt okay but then i thought no this is worse because now the system is just reflecting the ideology of big brother we're saying it's okay and yes right and reflecting the other part you get into like psychological theories and you know, you see this with like groupthink and whatnot, in which they're 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 putting out the language they think is expected of them without yes. actually like as opposed right. to what is the right language or what they you know, rather than saying this is the truth or these are the facts, they're trying to say what they yeah, you're right. This you're right. I'm so a little more concerned. I think to, to Nick's point, like the <laughs> evidence based and science based, like I get I get fetus, I get transgender because those are political terms where there still is there's How a is fetus a political term well, the, the abortion debate right so if you can if you can force somebody not to use the word fetus then you have to say what's the what's the alternative baby right and that becomes a very political term so no, um not born yet christian is the proper <laughs> term right. thank so, you so i get the sense that there's still a political debate about this but evidence-based and science-based the fact that they thought this is what the trump administration wants is right. deeply deeply troubling mm. yeah that's true oh yeah you're oh, that shit. did not work phil sorry I, yeah i tried to make you feel better and i ended up feeling worse <laughs> all right before we get to to ufo should we talk uh james clapper and putin or should we talk about gorsuch what are you guys feeling more i feel like putin's that's just so much more interesting. yeah putin sure okay why not? so the former uh, director of national intelligence james clapper said on monday that russian president vladimir putin appears to be handling president trump like a quote asset And this was his quote. I think this past weekend is illustrative of what a great case officer Vladimir Putin is. He knows how to handle an asset. And that's what he's doing with the president. Suggesting that that Vladimir Putin's career as a KGB officer understands how to work with somebody and get them to do what you want. right? And so he says, I'm only talking... He says, I'm talking figuratively. He's not saying that Trump is literally an asset of, of the Russians. But James Clapper is a well-respected, nonpartisan individual. Uh, I mean, just, just I, I think he's a Republican, right? I, I, I don't know. But somebody who is not partisan is coming out and saying here, I think our president is getting worked like a Manchurian candidate by Vladimir Putin. And that got a little bit of press, but not a ton of press. And for me, this was maybe the... In it, other than the CDC, CDC story, this was the most troubling one of the week. Mm-hmm. He's not—he's not a pundit, right? Like, and he's right. not just yeah. a smart, well-regarded man. He's a, oh, well, that was a loud bell. Wow, he's—he's <laughs> a, he's a man who has spent his life doing this sort of thing, running yeah. operatives, right? right. Yes. <laughs> so he would know. Yeah, it's uh, well. I mean, we've talked about it so like it's. <clears throat> I, I don't think any of us, or at least I don't think, I should say any of us, I think everyone agrees with me. Um, uh, I I don't think that Trump uh, is directly colluding with the Russian government or Putin specifically. I think that he is not smart enough to be played fairly effectively. (laughs) And we've seen it. I mean, every foreign policy trip that he's he's done since he started has been about 
you know, playing to his ego and making sure that, you know, he's well taken care of and he has a good time and it's really not substantive in, in any way. But you have that with Russia as well, but then you also have this really um, influential and nuanced and highly intelligent um, intelligence apparatus that also includes Putin as being a former member of that intelligence apparatus who knows how to handle people individually. And the fact that you can do that in person and then through the media and then through stories that your own people are feeding themselves through social media is, I, like, I, I think it's almost impossible for Trump as a person to not be played by that stuff given his mental state slash capacity question mark it becomes increasingly difficult to explain away why trump does what he does so this week uh the united states or should say the cia i think it was a cia passed information to russia about a upcoming terrorist attack which they then foiled and it saved lives and potentially some significant lives and putin called and thanked president trump now, President Trump had nothing to do with any of this. This was all the CIA. Maybe he said it was okay. But then Trump announces this and talks about how great it was. And so, again, it's this time and time again. He has nice things to say about Putin. Uh, his national security strategy goes after Russia. But Trump continues to support Russia. <clears throat> so it's hard to come to terms with why he's why he's behaving this way. And I, I understand why Clapper might suggest that this behavior suggest he's an asset even if he isn't an asset um yeah so the the thing i i was going to say something very similar the the thing that's weird to me i that if we go back to the election and the you know potential cooperation um, whether it's collusion or cooperation or whatever with the with the russians to get trump elected it makes sense if, if you just assume that trump is self-interested you can explain that right mm-hmm. you can say okay like it was benefiting trump he wanted to win office like there was right. a you know something beneficial to him what doesn't make sense is that a year later he continues to so like strongly defend Russia. So like the mm. other, you know, the other one was the this we were talking about before we came on the air, this seven hundred billion dollar spending bill, defense spending bill that Trump signed. And then afterwards talked about how he had problems with the parts that targeted Russia. Yeah. That doesn't like the the smart if he's self if you just assume self interest, <clears throat> he might he might work with Russia during the campaign if he did that. But it doesn't explain like if he's self-interested, what he should be doing now is like going after Russia as much as possible, right? To help sort of to help undermine <clears throat> these allegations of of loyalty to Russia. And it doesn't make that's the part that doesn't make sense to me. Why does he continue when it makes no sense? When there's nothing for him to gain? Why does he continue to defend Putin so much? And there could be a variety of explanations, one of which could just be Trump's personality. He has this, like, he's unwilling to sort of back down or to change his mind on something. So it it could be something as simple as that. But that's insane for him. I mean, he's paying a political cost for his affinity towards Russia. And I don't, it doesn't, it it doesn't make sense. I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Um, (laughs) I honestly am not. But I, I, I want to say this is not me speaking as a conspiracy theorist. This is me speaking as a scientist. There's like this outlier that doesn't make sense. Like, what is the causal factor? Why is he doing that? I don't I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, he has made negative comments about 
Russia and Putin specifically previously, just like he's made negative and positive comments about Kim Jong-un and Xi Jinping and uh, Duterte. Like, I, I think he he has a very short memory and attention span, and I, I don't necessarily think it's it's anywhere near the level that people, the level of complexity that people are, are ascribing to it right now. I, I, I just think he kind of thinks in the moment and isn't, he's influenced by the last interaction that he had with the person. And if that happens to be positive, he's more inclined to create some sort of positive response or, or defense of the person because they said something nice to me previously. Uh, that's a good point. And I think it also, this changes subjects a bit. It explains a little bit of why Republicans were lavishing praise on him today. They were they were engaging in the Saudi treatment. Like right. they were going over and over and over. I, I do wonder whether Trump looks at Putin as a model. Now, I know he can't be that kind of leader, but I think he would like to be Putin-esque in terms mm-hmm. of not mm-hmm. having to deal with Congress. Just saying like, this is what I want to do. The way that he did it in business. So there mm-hmm. might be some modeling where he says, this is the guy that I want to replicate. Who knows? I mean, there's so many things that could be driving it. But your point, Phil, like he's an outlier. Or this, this, this is an outlier that it, it can't be explained purely by self-interested behavior because it's, it's no longer self-interested. It is hurting right. him. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, unless unless the self interest is something that we don't know about, right? Right. EP tapes. Right. Right. I don't. Oh God, we're gonna have to see the PP tapes. Uh, Like we need to. Everyone needs to see them if that if they're true. No one should ever see. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I guess it doesn't actually involve him peeing, so that's okay. There you go. Let's just let's talk UFOs. Okay. Another, maybe the, the most fun story of the week was the New York Times ran a piece describing the Pentagon's program. It's called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Uh, it was funded to the tune of $22 million, and the program investigated reports of unidentified flying objects, UFOs. Uh, it was run by a military intelligence official on the fifth floor of the Pentagon Sea Ring, a deep within the building's maze. This was... So, so, so the Pentagon is looking into UFO activity, and not only looking into it, they're trying to study the video, and they're trying to study these certain videos as a way of like stealing some of the technology. Well, this isn't the first time they've done that. They had Project Blue Book back in, I think it was the 60s and through the 80s, I believe, yeah. something like that. So they've been interested in the phenomenon for decades Pretty much since World War Two. You're a believer, but, Nick, aren't you? No, I just find it fascinating. <laughs> I find it really this covert, fucking oh. secretive, classified bullshit. I find really interesting. Well, the it, fact that it went, like, the story was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everybody was carrying it, and the fact that they were so, just, I, I don't know about open about it, but the fact that there was enough information and there was videotape. The or, videos are the videos are fun, compelling. Yes. As, as yes. You said. Yes. <laughs> It's, we posted it on both Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> it, it was, I, I just found it really interesting that there was that much interest about it. And the fact that it was really well-funded for the time. And, and realistically, uh, it uh, the project wrapped up in 2012, I believe. 
But oh, there's some rumor that it's continued. It kept going. Yes, that they right. continued it in one way. Because it's, it's black funding. There's no tracing of it. It doesn't show up mm. officially in the budget. Right. Yeah. I just found it really so, interesting. Yeah. Phil, you're a believer, right? That's, uh, <laughs> so that, the the black, the, like the secret, not, I don't know. So I, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a believer. I'm not necessarily a disbeliever. I don't really spend any time thinking about it. That $22 million for UFO research could have gone to schools. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The thing that here's I guess my approach on it or, or my take on it is that this seems like something that the Pentagon should do, right? Like right. if your target, if your goal is to defend the U.S., um, like I, I don't think it should be their primary goal. I don't think it's what <laughs> they should be primarily focused on. Just like they shouldn't be primarily focused on like I don't know Eritrea invading the U.S. But like part of the thing is like hmm. being thinking about possibilities and being prepared for all these alternatives on the off chance that there are, you know, aliens <laughs> then right. that are that are flying around the U.S., then the military should probably look into it. That seems reasonable to yeah. me. The part that's weird is all of the secrecy behind it. And I did not realize the part that you were talking about, how they're trying to steal the technology. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the primary goal of this is to see whether or not countries like russia or china have advanced military technology that we're not aware of that's their primary concern <clears throat> what was interesting was the the person who was leading the project said yeah I, you can explain a lot of this stuff but there's a kind of good portion of it yeah. that we just can't wrap our heads around we never found a good explanation for so yeah i i, I completely agree i i think that these kinds of programs are are important um, considering how much technology does get stolen uh, from foreign powers on a regular basis, that we have no idea what they're what they're doing with it. Yeah, a couple of things strike me and about aliens. This. <laughs> so, twenty two million dollars is a lot of money, but in terms of Pentagon money, that's like peanuts, right? Uh, so there, like, like this, a coffee run, right? Exactly. <laughs> so Harry Reid apparently was the one that was initiating this, and so or asking for this. So they threw you know a little bit of money at him, but it's still relatively insignificant. And the other thing is that apparently there are so they released these videos, but the guy that was interviewed said that there's a whole host of still classified classified videos that they aren't going to release. But he said it's difficult because there's a lot of pilots who are out there who see things like this, but they're unwilling to go too far in the explanation because if they do so... They're ridiculed. Right, exactly. So you don't want to be the guy that's, you know, I, I saw an alien because it means that you can't continue to move up within the institution or the establishment. I, so I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't think we're alone. I don't know. So yeah, what, what are your thoughts then? You know, this is like a deeper question for me. I, I go back and forth on whether we're alone or not alone. And I, I think that my guess is that most of what they're seeing is probably not, not UFOs. You know, it's mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. I, I think we're alone. I think the, the idea of, like, life in other solar systems is really, really, it's just difficult. So I'm, I'm, I think it's a barren nothingness out there. Phil. That's bleak. I, know. I totally disagree. Really? I, I disagree yeah, the, as well. The, the, the statistically speaking, right. the, it, the odds are there is life elsewhere. Now, the odds that life elsewhere can actually travel 
like massive distances yeah. and fly like jets around our world is incredibly small. <laughs> yes, yes. So I am like, I think, yeah, there's life out there, but no, it's not orbit. It's not flying around Earth. <laughs> Here's the thing. So there's this, this would take us in a tangent, but there's this whole like Fermi paradox, which is looking at the possibility of life elsewhere. And I've turned off the podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and some, you know, some of the mass says, yes, the odds of, of life elsewhere are really high. And the other says, no, it's really low. The idea of like cells, well, maybe like single cell organisms are out there. But the idea that that you're going to get, you know, cells dividing and then figuring out how to fly at like supersonic speeds. Very arrogant and egotistical. (laughs) Yeah. We are the peak of all, like, ever in the history of the world. No one can ever be better than us. Humans yeah. have been saying that pretty much since humans existed. <laughs> well, that may be the case, but for me, it's 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 not egotistical. It's it's depressing because if this is it, like, if this mm. is the pinnacle of civilization, Trump world, no, no. Maybe that's why they're into... coming here. That's right. They want to see us. You're not taking into account alternate dimensions, Bill. That's true. That's true. I, that's too hard for me to think. Are you, are you thinking about the multiverse? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> you have an evil twin out there That's somewhere. like postmodernism. I could never wrap my head around any of that. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I think it's like the exact opposite of postmodernism. <laughs> right. I, I, I thought it was really interesting. Now people really have turned off. <laughs> But, we, had, we had something a couple of weeks ago where we did an episode. It was something we talked about really, really late in the podcast, and somebody tweeted about it at us, and I thought, that's fantastic. He made it to the end. Good for, <laughs> well, good we for talked him. about UFOs, that we were going to talk about it, and just about everything that we posted yeah. this week. So hopefully people stuck around for that. That's right. Um, if you did stick around and enjoy our discussions on that stuff... Um, Talking to the mic, Nick. Um, I was doing a thing. If, if, if you happen to be an alien flying around the Earth listening to our podcast, right. send us an email. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> if you enjoyed this discussion about aliens and then some politics, we were more interested in aliens. Um, uh, like us on Facebook, at Barstool Politics. Uh, Twitter, at Barstool Paul. Um, Comments, questions, beer suggestions, anything else you want to send, uh, barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. Uh, like us and share us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, you can check out beers that we've tried on the Untapped app that you can download on iOS and Android. Follow us on Twitter. We have a lot of Facebook followers, yeah. but not as many Twitter. No, it's dumb. Yeah, I don't no. like that at all. Yeah. Most... <laughs> I miss the X Files. <laughs> Most podcasts would go with go out on this episode with Christmas music, and I applaud you, Nick, for your <laughs> yes. your bold I, <laughs> I was trying to think of an avant garde way to go. No, this is great. <laughs> I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, any closing thoughts? Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, happy yeah. holidays. Happy holidays. Truth is out there. Yeah, trust no one. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers guys.